Matthew 13, one through nine. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him and he got into a boat. He sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He had many stories in the form of parables such as this one. We can learn so many spiritual truths through parables. So let's lean in. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds, Jesus said. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them all up. Other seeds fell on shallow soil. Everyone say shallow soil. With underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. There's the word again, that shallow soil. Mmm, there's something to that. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. Fertile soil is what we want and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Father, I pray that we would have ears to hear and to understand what the Spirit of the Lord is saying today. God, may it bear fruit in our lives. May we leave church today transformed, renewed, restored. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Please be with us in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you're taking notes, and I strongly recommend that you do because I believe note takers are history makers. Let me tell you, when you take notes, it stays in your brain. You won't leave church and someone asks you, what'd you learn at church today? And you're like, ooh, I don't remember. <laughs> But I think that the Lord was going to give you some things that are specifically for you that you can use in this season of your life. And my message title today is, This Time Next Year. Can you say that with me? This time next year. I need you to say it with a little bit more authority than that. This time next year. I don't know what you're believing God for, but this time next year. You got to declare it. You got to declare it. I remember when Jimmy and I, um, a few years ago, bought a new house, right? And they put sod down and we were watching um, the grass grow. First year was cool because it was sod, right? But then the, the, the sod started to die. And I figured I'd tell you guys this story because this whole, um, you know, farmer planting seed thing, it kind of goes with it. And literally, we were passionate about this grass. You know, how many of the guys out there know that you, you know, you got to have a green lawn or it's like a man fail? You know what I'm saying? So Jimmy was full of shame because let me tell you, our grass was dying. Nothing would grow. The, the sod that they had put down for some reason wouldn't take root in the soil. And the grass was dying, and no matter how much he watered it, seeded it, aerated it, he finally brought a company out to analyze the soil, to figure out why can't anything grow in this yard? And they discovered that the soil did not have nutrients in it. 
it not like there was nothing to fertilize the roots of the grass to make it grow. So nothing could grow there. So we kept trying over and over and over and just kept failing. And we were just stumped. What are we going to do about this grass? It needs like soil so something can grow that's fertilized. Made me think about the soil of our hearts. And what is needed for something to grow. We come to church every Sunday. And sometimes <laughs> the seed is dropped and the birds come and eat it up. Maybe the soil is rocky. So the roots can't really get hold and get planted into the soil and grow and develop. Or maybe the young plant gets choked out because the soil of the heart of the young plant, the young person, the new believer, is just not fertilized and not fertile enough. And you know, the soil of our hearts in this, the current state of our country and our world with the global pandemic, the state of our, the soil of our hearts, if the soul is the seat of the emotions, I want to ask you today, how is your soil? How is your emotional world? How is your inner world? Because our inner world reflects our outer world. So if your outer world is falling apart, maybe, just maybe, we need to do some work on the soil. The pandemic has 100% impacted so many people, mental health-wise. Um, it caused a recession, impacted the, the economy of this country and people individually, right? How many of you would say, the, the pandemic hit me. It definitely impacted me. Am I the only one in this room? Like, it's real. The mental health issues that my family has had to navigate with teenagers and college students having to leave college early, it's been real. In fact, I'm going to give you some statistics that I think are really interesting. Four in ten adults in the U.S. have reported symptoms of anxiety and depressive disorder during the pandemic. Four in ten adults. It was previously, the year before, one in ten adults. Twenty million Americans over the age of 12. Twenty million battle substance abuse disorder of some kind. 9.5 million have a dual diagnosis of both mental health and the substance abuse. 74% of those people surveyed identified alcohol as their drug of choice, their substance of choice. Yeah, that thing that's legal, yeah, that addictive substance. Um, over 200,000 Americans are addicted to porn. More than 30 million people have eating disorders in the U.S. 30 million addictions to prescription drugs, um, gambling, process addictions, they're on the rise since the pandemic hit. This is the state of our world right now. This is the state of the soil of the hearts of God's people. I don't know about you, but I got to do something about that. 
the soil of our hearts needs attention. And I believe it's time for God's church to rise up and focus on recovering the soil and making the soil nutrient-filled again so things can grow. You know what I'm saying? Like literally, I was thinking about recovery. The word recovery is not a bad word. It's not just for those people who are alcoholics or those people who are um, in Narcotics Anonymous. Recovery applies to everyone. In fact, the definition of recovery is a return to a natural state of health, mind, and strength. I'm going to say that again. The definition of recovery is a return to a natural state of health, mind, and strength. It's the action or process of regaining possession of, or control. Regaining possession or control of what was lost or stolen. Who's had something lost before? Who's had something stolen before? Come on. That's everyone in this room. If you're breathing, you need to be in recovery. We need to reframe the shame of recovery. And I believe that's part of my assignment to this generation. God searches for people he can trust to do what he's calling them to do. And I believe right now in this season of my life, Irene Rollins is called to reframe the shame of recovery. Because we need to work on that soil. We got to get it fertilized again. Because I don't know about you, but I saw some hands go up that, about burnout. How many of you are tired of being tired, of being broke, of not getting enough sleep, of being overweight, feeling sluggish, not feeding your body what it needs to live? Tired, depression, anxiety. Is it just me? I know it can't be just me. You're not alone. Because everyone in this room, everyone at the Baltimore BWI campus, we are all struggling with something. We all need recovery. For our spirit man to grow, we need to work on our emotional world. And that's what we're going to do today. We cannot be spiritually mature without being emotionally healthy. I'm going to say it again. Those of you online that are watching, come on. I want you to lean in. You cannot be spiritually mature without being emotionally healthy. Our inner world reflects our outer world. We're made up of mind, body, soul. Our soul is the seat of our emotions. God created us in his image. He did it and said it was good, right? How many of y'all were taught the no talk rule going up? Is it just me? Don't talk because... It was like rude if you shared too much, you overshared. The parents were like scared you were going to say something wrong. So if you were hungry, angry, lonely, tired, whatever, you just weren't supposed to um, express yourself. And our feelings are not always true. How many of you know that? Is that true? Sometimes we have a feeling, but we have to reality check that thing because it might not be true. Remember when we, I don't know if you guys remember, but when I was younger, they used to tell us that if we swallowed gum, that it would stay in our stomachs 
for seven years. <laughs> Remember that? Guess what? That actually doesn't happen. <laughs> but we believe the lie. We believe that we're supposed to be quiet, that we're not supposed to express our emotions and share our emotions like our emotional world is a bad thing. It's a lie. Just like literally it's a lie. Just like you're not going to carry around uh, a pack of juicy fruit in your stomach for seven years. Our emotions are to be embraced. They're part of our humanity and they have a purpose that we're supposed to exercise with them. Amen? Y'all are quiet this morning. I'm gonna need y'all to give me a little bit of energy. All right? So just as our minds enable us to think and our wills enable us to choose, so our emotions enable us to respond. And see, it gets dangerous sometimes because our emotions impact our behaviors. And if we're not aware of our emotions, we don't know how to label them, process through them, we can sometimes come across out of moderation. So, you know, you, know, you don't have to raise your hand, but you may know someone that goes from zero to 100, like in an instant. Like if anger is your go-to, and you escalate so fast, maybe, just maybe, your emotional world needs to be addressed. See, when we don't address our inner world, you can end up like me, in a vicious pain cycle. Because ignoring and stuffing leads to pain. Then you have so much pain, it compounds over time. You don't know what to do with that pain, so you're like, I need relief for the pain, so you start reaching for something to medicate with. That was my story. I had no clue about this emotional world and how I needed to be emotionally healthy to deal with the stresses and complexities of life, leading a church, having children, raising children in this crazy world we live in. And so here we are, Jimmy and I started I-5 City in 2012, and I'm pastoring, I'm killing it for Jesus, doing his work. But we began to experience pain from deaths, betrayals. It was hard leading a church, okay? Leading a movement, having three kids. The list goes on and on and on. I'm sure you guys can identify with working full time and all of that. I was stressed and I needed something to take the pain away. And I introduced alcohol back into my life. And it went into dependency almost immediately. I escalated from one glass of wine to two bottles like it was nobody's business. And I ended up in rehab. Yeah, the pastor's wife. Rehab. I had no clue that I was not emotionally healthy enough to handle the pressure of leading a church. Hit rock bottom. I know the pain and shame of being in an emotional crisis. I know it very, very well. But see, God doesn't want you to have to hit rock bottom and crisis. How many of you want that bottom to come up to you? Huh? Can we do that today? It's time to deal with our emotional world, church. It's time for us to fertilize the soil of our soul but we need tools to do this. So I wanna leave you with a couple of them. Are you ready? Taking notes? There are three ingredients needed for emotional growth. 
And I believe that the formula comes from another parable that I'm going to read you in Luke 13, 6 through 9. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for the fruit on it, but it didn't have any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. This guy had been in that cycle, coming back over and over, watering the grass, pruning the grass, seeding and aerating it. Nothing was happening. He said, cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Then the man said, sir, Leave it alone for one more year. Everybody say that with me. One more year. Leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, you can go ahead and cut it down. In that last verse, the vineyard grower gave us three ingredients that drive the work of growth and emotional health. We dig around it, we fertilize it, and we give it another year. We dig, we fertilize, and we give it time. How can we apply this to the emotional health and the emotional growth process? Let's talk about it. Number one, we gotta dig up dysfunction. Dig up dysfunction. I remember it, we were um, falling apart, kind of, at the beginning of COVID when we were on top of each other in that first two weeks of the shutdown, right? At each other's throats, super annoyed with one another. Jimmy was like, we're going outside. We're going to address this grass, okay? Y'all, as a family, he made us go outside, get dressed in, uh, you know, ratty clothes. He ordered tons, it seemed like tons, of compost, had it delivered, put onto the driveway. So they dump all of this compost, which is made out of, you know, manure. And he wanted us to shovel it and put it all over the yard. I was completely disgusted. First of all, I didn't have masks yet because the masks weren't a thing yet in the initial shutdown. So all that dust was blowing on me. Oh my gosh, I was so grossed out by the smell. It got hard sometimes. Like I literally injured myself from all of the shoveling because it was so heavy. The labor was intense. Then my family ditched me. I found myself outside by myself digging up crap to lay it all over the lawn by myself. The lawn, the soil needed me to dig up crap for it to be fertilized so something could grow? Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Digging up dysfunction gets smelly sometimes. It gets downright hard sometimes to think about abuse that happened to us in our childhood, to think about painful moments in our life that have caused trauma and messed up our soil, dried it up of nutrients, that divorce, that grief that you have over that family member that passed that you need to recover from. Your soil needs recovery. 
of nutrients. We got to dig up dysfunction to get there, though. Do it in a counselor's office. Do it in freedom sessions. We offer freedom here at Union. Yeah. Do some digging. We got to dig up dysfunction. I'm telling you, <laughs> the thought sometimes that they left me out there by myself. But that's how my recovery has been. I've been by myself sometimes. It was only the sustenance of my relationship with God that kept me. He said he will never leave me and he will never forsake me, and he didn't. I can prove it to you all along the way, even in the shame and embarrassment of getting, checking myself into rehab. He was there. I could tell you all about it, but that's a whole nother story. He's there all along. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be messy, but it's going to be worth it. Y'all digging up pain and shame and things like that are in our hearts that need to be dug up. It's messy, stinky, but it's worth it. There's freedom on the other side. Our emotions were meant to be processed through. So the question you need to be asking yourself in the soil of your heart, is there an emotion I'm stuck in? Am I stuck in a hurt? Am I stuck in a hang up? Am I stuck in a habit? We need to dig around. See, you can't heal a wound you say is not there. Jeremiah 6.14 tells us that. You can't heal a wound you say is not there. You got to call it what it is. It's dysfunction. It's codependent. No, that's adultery. No, that's addiction. No, that's a generational curse we need to break. Call it what it is. You got to label it, identify it. Stop hiding behind like the denial of, we walk around acting like nobody else notices our dysfunction, but I hate to break it to you. It's pretty noticeable. I remember before I got sober, we had friends who would act, like bring it to our attention. Like, are you guys okay, Jimmy and Irene? Y'all don't look okay. Irene, you're drinking an awful lot. Yeah dysfunctional. And I was in such denial, I couldn't call it what it was. And it almost killed me. My husband almost left me. The consequences were almost completely unbearable. There are consequences when we don't address our internal world. You need tools when you dig, right? I'm going to leave you with one real quick and you're going to have to study it later. Or start a small group, why don't you? <laughs> It's called emotional intelligence. You can grow in your emotional IQ at any point in your life. Your IQ, your Q, you're only as smart as you're going to be by a certain age, right? Your IQ, you can develop over the course of your entire life. So I went from having no emotional intelligence, going into rehab. Uh, literally, they, they treated my addiction through the lenses of trauma. I got to learn about codependency. I got to learn about emotional health. I got to learn about all the things that led to my dependency on alcohol. So now I know how to live a free life. 
through a 12-step program of recovery that actually works, y'all. But this whole emotional intelligence thing tells me that, like, one um, aspect of uh, emotional intelligence, there's five components. Self-perception, how you view yourself, uh, self-expression, interpersonal skills, decision-making, and stress management. How many of us know that we need help in all five of those? We all need to do the work and get better, right? Well, today, just for the sake of time, I'm just going to talk about self-perception. So that's your whole self-awareness thing. That's what I lacked. I didn't know how stressed I was, how anxiety-filled I was. I didn't know how to articulate it. Does that make sense? When I was in my worst, right? Are you aware of your inner world? That's whole self-awareness. Then there's self-regard. How do I view myself? Do I take care of myself? Self? How's my self-esteem? Self-esteem is huge. People think that self-care is selfish. It's actually self-esteem. I value this temple that the Lord gave me. I need to feed it well. I need to exercise it. I need to, uh, for it to be emotionally well and spiritually well. Amen? And then self-actualization, the third part of our self-perception. Listen to this. Meaning your willingness to continually improve yourself are you willing to do the work to get free? It doesn't happen overnight. It's not a one and done. You don't just come to church and boom, I'm cured. I lifted my hands at the altar and done. Doesn't work that way. Hey, the Lord, he's a God of miracles. He may like literally, spont I've heard stories of spontaneous sobriety. That wasn't mine. I went kicking and screaming all the way to rehab. Do you want to get well, church? Self-actualization. You can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. You got to look at it. You got to go digging. You got to dig up the things that are choking you out. What in your past do you need to face? What in your past is showing up in your present? And you're beginning to notice and get self-aware that, man, when I smell that thing, I'm triggered. When I hear that sound, when I see that thing, what comes up for you? It's time to start asking ourselves honest questions and answering them honestly, y'all. Get real with yourself. I didn't know how to do that for way too long. We don't want to end up with shallow soil that the Spirit of the Lord wants to drop seeds of growth and they can't grow. We run away from pain, church. We don't want to touch it when we're digging. But I encourage you to run towards it. You won't die. The Lord is with you. There's this quote I love from Charles Spurgeon, and it's, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. Jesus, God is the rock of ages. If my pain throws me up against him, I've learned to say, yes, I'm good. It's going to be okay. The pain is worth it because I get closer to him. He'll meet you where your pain is. So you've got to dig up the dysfunction. Everybody say, dig it up. So how do we go from dysfunction to function? 
the vineyard grower said he's going to apply fertilizer. And I believe that fertilizer is grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more so Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am made strong. Let me tell you, admitting that I was an alcoholic was the hardest thing I've ever done because I thought that meant I was bad. I am five years, eight months sober right now. And that shame is gone. The Lord has redeemed me and set me free and helped me reframe the shame of recovery. I will boast of what the Lord has done in my life. It's his power and his strength that came in only after I admitted I had an issue. I think we got to get acquainted with what we're not so that the grace of God can come in and give us the strength to walk out Whatever your program of recovery may look like, recovery from you may be relational connection, someone you need to connect with, and, or maybe you're an introvert and you want to get better at being an ex, um, connecting with people because you're lonely. I don't know what your program of recovery may be. It may be uh, your weight and um, eating better. It could be going to AA program like me or celebrate recovery. Maybe it's recovering from grief and pain. Whatever it is, God's there to meet you, but you've got to admit it. Call it what it is. His grace will come in and be your supernatural spotter as you're lifting the weight of your recovery. See, the thing about grace, it means unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We didn't bring anything to the party. We just get it. Like, that's how much he loves us. He just gives us grace. But you know what we do have a choice about? We have to choose to receive grace. It's a choice. Am I going to receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Or am I going to cheapen his work on the cross? He died and suffered he spent 40 days and 40 nights without food and water in horrible elements in the wilderness so that he could identify with us. When we get hungry, when we get hallucinations and have mental health issues, Jesus didn't have mental health issues, but I believe he experienced hallucinations not eating for 40 days and being in the desert. He identified with us. We're not alone in this. You got to receive his grace. Everybody say, I receive his grace. And you know what? Just like we can't do this recovery thing without God, we can't do it without people. Hashtag don't do life alone. Life was not meant to be lived alone. You got to get in a small group. Get on an emotional intelligence one or a um, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scarezzo, great tool. Get in a small group, get with people. We grow in circles. What you feed is what you grow. 
Are y'all ready to start feeding your, the soil of your heart with regular t- church attendance, regular trips to a counselor? Keep working that thing. It works if you work it, okay? So dig up the dysfunction, fertilize your future, and lastly, you gotta give it time. Give it time. Luke 13, eight says, sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it, I'll fertilize it, and if it bears fruit, next year, great. If not, go ahead and cut it down. The scripture is telling me that progress requires time. Everybody say, it takes time. It takes time. It's not a one and done. You can't expect a tree to grow when you just dip it in soil and take it right back out. Wouldn't that be crazy? You got to leave it in the ground. You have to water it. You have to fertilize it. You have to prune it. Cut some things away. It's a process. And I remember getting out of rehab, being so shame-filled, I said to myself, I'll never tell anybody ever that this happened to me. But through my process of recovery, the Lord began to do something in me as I worked it, my 12 steps. People like, y'all, let me demystify the whole 12-step thing. It's biblical principles on how to stay emotionally healthy so you don't drink. Super simple. 12 steps for Narcotics Anonymous, the same 12 steps for Overeaters Anonymous, the same 12 steps, pick the poison. All it is, is it's from the Beatitudes, it's from the Bible. It's steps of recovery that if we engage in it, it creates disciplines in our life. And those disciplines get us closer to God, contentment, and experiencing true joy in the land of the living. And you know what else I love about that? The fact is, life still happens. People still betray me, people still die. I just know how to handle it differently now. But it took time. I had to go to intense outpatient treatment when I got home, three from rehab, three hours, 26 sessions hour and a half sessions of trauma therapy for six months, talk therapy, one hour a week, reading books on trauma, reading books on addiction, because let me tell you, you got me once, you're not going to get me again. Addiction snuck up on me because I knew nothing about emotional health and nothing about codependency and nothing about the way dependency on a substance works, and it got me, almost killed me. Not going to get me again. So I do the work and I give it time. And eventually the Lord whispered in my ear, Irene, it's time to share your story. And when I did, I'll never forget it. It was May. Lisa Bevere, one of my favorite authors and a mentor of mine, said, this time next year over me. Do you know that a year later, I shared my story with our church. I got over the shame, the thing that I thought I would never do. So a year from now, you could be ready to have a hard conversation with that person you're having trouble forgiving. You deem it unforgivable. How can I forgive that? 
a year from now, I declare your freedom from unforgiveness. A year from now, you're going to have the marriage you've always desired because you're going to start working on your emotional health now and take ownership, extreme ownership of your own life and get emotionally healthy. Where are my single people at? Let me hear you. Holla. Start the emotional work now, I beg of you. <laughs> because health attracts health. Dysfunction attracts dysfunction. And if you want to stop dating the same guys or girls that you've been dating in the past, do some internal digging, fertilizing, and give it some time so something can grow that's fruitful. Everybody say, trust the process. It's a process. God is a, the God of a process. He wants you to give it time so he can, you can look in the mirror a year from now and go, not even recognize yourself. That's what it was like for me. I can't even believe it's me. Literally. I used to have panic attacks. I couldn't even give announcements on a Sunday at church. My internal world, I had no self-esteem. I had others' esteem. I cared more about what you thought of me than what God thought of me. Oh, I'm so over it. It feels good to be free. That's a good place to clap. Free from people. So church, I want to leave you with this. If you're not working on your recovery, you're working on relapse. If you're not working on your recovery, you're working on relapse. I don't care if it's a hurt that you think you've gotten over. If you don't keep working at that thing and digging and fertilizing and watering, it could come back to get you. They say in AA that when you go into a meeting, because some people are like, oh, I don't need to go to meetings anymore. When you go into a meeting, um, alcoholism is doing push-ups in the parking lot, just waiting for you to come out. So I'm not gonna put my guard down. I'm not going to put my guard down. I'm going to keep doing the work because the work is worth it. So don't get discouraged if fruit doesn't grow. Because a year from now, if you keep digging up the dysfunction, you keep fertilizing your future with grace, and you give it time, be gentle with yourself, God's going to show you the beauty of his promises. He promised your freedom. He promised you joy if you're willing to do the work. Are you willing to do the work? If you're willing to do the work at any of our campuses and even online, just stand up with me so I can pray with you. Are you willing to do the work to get emotionally healthy? Stuff is still going to happen, church, but you're just going to deal with it different in a way that's not going to take you out. Let the bottom I'm up to you. Where do you want to be? I want you to close your eyes and think about where you want to be. What a year from now, what are you believing God for? What are you holding on to? Hurt. What hang up do you have? What habit has gotten out of control and perhaps unmanageable in your life? It's time to do the work, church. Get a picture 
of that, a year from now. Father, I thank you that nothing is too hard for you. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that this time next year, I will have done some work. We will have done some work. God, I thank you that we're going to reap just a harvest for everything, that all the work that we do. So I pray that that harvest would be plentiful. God, I pray that, pray that we would bear fruit that remains. God, as we call things dysfunction, we're breaking generational curses and leaving a legacy of health to those and joy to those who are coming behind us. God, I thank you for fruit that remains in your people. Bless them now as they go forth. Heap grace upon grace upon grace on them. And if you be you're believing with me for this promise, say amen. 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 Can we give it up for Jesus? Because he is awesome. Maybe you're online or in this room or at one of our campuses, Baltimore, Columbia, and you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You want to press the big fat reset button on life if you could. You're tired of being tired and you're ready for the, an upswing, right? I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And we as a church are going to pray with you. And all you have to do is say this simple prayer with me and confess in your heart. I mean, confess and believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he suffered and died a terrible death on the cross for you and for me to walk in forgiveness and have grace and mercy, that we might live an eternal life with him when we leave this earth. So if you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior in your heart, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, actually the whole church, let's go ahead and say this together. Jesus, come into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for all my sins. Make me new. Wash me clean. Thank you that I'm a daughter or son. <laughs> I'm a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate all those who made a decision to come into the family of God. I love you, church. Thank you.